Thank you, Mary. How are you doing, church? You all right? Yeah, yeah good to see you. Um, there will be a little bit of reading from Genesis 40. And if anybody wants to think about volunteering to read a few verses, that would be great. Um, this morning, we're on week three of our six-part series, Looking at Servanthood. One of the five Junction 10 values. Who can name the five Junction 10 values? I'm looking at the elders and the old core team members. Can you name them all? Yeah. Yeah. Go on then, shout them out. Servant life. Missional life. Generous life. Passionate life. Grace-driven life. Brilliant. And we're in this series on servanthood. I know you wouldn't let me down. And today we're looking at the character of a servant and thinking about what the life of Joseph can teach us. Uh, so today we have three points. Uh, character, confinement, and greatness. Now, now some of you are saying he's not a proper Pentecostal pastor preacher because he hasn't got three points bringing him with peas. So for those of you saying that, we could say person, preparation, and promotion, just to keep you all happy. Uh, so let's have a look at character, the first one. Um, a dictionary definition says that character is the mental and the moral qualities distinctive to an individual. A combination of our personality, our nature, our temperament, uh, the way we're made, and the unique stamp that we bring to life. Uh, the Bible sometimes uses the word heart in the same way that we think about character. Uh, the Bible says, God doesn't look at outward appearances, but looks at the heart. Now, I'd already given you the answer to that one. You could have been a bit less. So God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the... Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> Oh dear, that's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. God is extremely interested in character or heart. Just read Proverbs, read the New Testament epistles. In fact, read most of the Bible, and there is so much advice and guidance about how the nature of our character should develop, what qualities a righteous person should have, and what traits a godly person should cultivate. Character is what happens when someone's made a thousand small choices each requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousandth and first time, when it really matters, they find they do what's required automatically. Character is when wise and courageous choices become second nature to us. There are many things the life of Joseph, who we're looking at today, can teach us about the development of our character. But we need to be open and willing to see things a little bit differently with the eyes of the Spirit. Are you open and willing to do that today, church? How about this half? Is this half open and willing to do that today, church? But not very enthusiastically. How about this part of the church? Are you open and willing to do that today, church? A bit more enthusiasm there. Do you want another chance over here? What about this? Are you open and willing to do it? Thank you. Yes, life. We have life. There's proof of it. Um, you find a quick story. Uh, you, sorry, you find the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, starting from Genesis 37, but I'll give you a quick summary. Uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob later changed, had his name changed to Israel. And Jacob loved Joseph more than any of Joseph's other brothers. Joseph was passionate about the dreams God had given him, so much so that he annoyed his brothers to the extent they planned to kill him. 
He was press-ganged into slavery. His brothers sort of changed their plans, decided not to kill him and pretended he was uh, killed to his dad but sold him as a slave. He was purchased for Potiphar's house. And here Joseph learned to serve and serve so well he rose to a position of responsibility. He was put in prison when he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife and he was wrongly accused of rape. In prison, his learning to serve well continued, and again, he was given greater and greater and greater responsibility. And finally, he was promoted to power and put in charge of all of Egypt. And he was prepared to forgive the past, to be reconciled to his brothers. So there's a quick summary. You see, God had given Joseph prophetic dreams, and I believe God has given people in this church, all of you, dreams. I believe that he will give you dreams if you ask for them. And dreams are really, really, really important. But Joseph proved that his character wasn't quite ready to handle the gifting that God had given him in terms of his dreams and his ability to interpret them. He bragged to his brothers, telling that they would bow down to him. And he went so far with this that even his loving father Jacob, who thought Joseph was the favourite son, rebuked him. So being sold into captivity, slavery, and eventually prison were the consequences of Joseph's gifting exceeding his character. These were the places, though, that God used to develop his character and his gifting. I do wonder sometimes, would Joseph's life have been a little bit different if just maybe his character lived up to his gifting, if maybe instead of being arrogant and prideful with his brothers, it had been teachable and humble. And church, it is vitally important, if you take nothing out of today, that we stay teachable and that we learn. Before Joseph could occupy his destiny, he had to learn how to serve well. His character had to be refined so that he was ready for the greatness God had prepared for him. Your character formation in serving is critical to correctly releasing your gifting and your destiny. Let me say that again. Your character formation in serving is critical to correctly releasing your gifting and activating your destiny, each one of you. The Bible says that our thoughts are not God's thoughts and that God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways. And because God's view and our view is not always the same, how often do we get it wrong? The Jesus way calls us to look at things with a different reality, a different posture, a different way of seeing things. And I want to give you a key today, one thing that will make all the difference in your discipleship journey, and it's this. It's security in our identity. Security in our identity. When we're secure in who we are, in who God calls us to be, who the Bible says we really are, when we're secure in that, then we can really lose our lives in order to find them. When we know for certain that God loves us, and whatever happens in this world, God is using it for good, then we can more easily put on the mantle of humility and of servanthood. When we're securing our identity as sons and daughters of a king, as co-heirs with Christ, then serving takes on a completely new dimension. 
And let me tell you, church, as followers of Jesus, it isn't a matter of if we should serve. It's a matter of how we should serve. And if you don't serve, then I want to challenge you just with that phrase. It's not a matter of if you serve, you should be serving. But it's a matter of how you serve. Taking the posture of a servant, though, is the very last thing our ego wants to do. When we serve, the ego does subtle things. It can serve in order to get. And in the process, it takes on a semblance of humility, but without true humbleness. It serves, but it serves from a a me-first attitude. You see, what really the ego wants is fame and acclamation and greatness. And it might not be on a grand scale. It might not be pop star fame or public eye football star greatness that our prideful ego strains for. But in our own little groups, it wants importance. It wants to be noticed. But pride, the Bible says, is one of the most dangerous sins of the heart. And we saw it with Joseph and and his dreams and the way he talked to his brothers. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom, Proverbs 11, verse 2. And James 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thanks to the front row. You can come again. Church, we have to be wise. The world loves the ego. You've only got to watch X Factor or The Voice. Uh, In the world of work and career and society, the values have changed so much over the past few decades. Does anybody remember the 1987 film? And I'm looking around for Kevin Davison. He's not here because he's the one person I thought might remember it. Anybody remember Wall Street? Famous 1980s film. Thank you. Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. And this is the way of the world. Society no longer values the qualities of selflessness or humility, the qualities that Jesus forms within us. Quite the opposite, actually. And I... (laughs) I say in the last few decades it's changed. But if we go right the way back to 2 Timothy 3 verse 2, it says, in the last days, and we're in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Now, I like Simon Cowell. (laughs) But if I read that list again, Sometimes, I'm not saying he's like that, but our TV, our media, our society promotes these sort of values as something to look up for. In the world that we live, the Bible calls us to be in the world, but not of it. It says we should not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead to be transformed with a renewing of our minds. To live a holy life and a life worthy of our calling. We've been given a great calling, church. And we need to live lives worthy of that. And we need to be cautious. I've already said if we're not serving, we really need to check our discipleship journey and our relationship with Jesus if we're not serving. Because Jesus calls us to serve. But if we are serving, then there's some other things to watch out for. Please, if you are driven to serve, then just have a think about that. Or if you serve out of guilt. These are not good motives for serving. If we serve out of pressure because we think there's no one else who could do that, then we actually rob someone of the chance to step up and we rob God 
of the chance to create an opportunity for someone. Here's a good one. I'll struggle with this one. If we serve to please people rather than God, how easy is that one to do? If we serve out of pride, we've already mentioned pride. Um, Here's another one. We need to be careful if we find we're slipping into a victim mentality where we serve, but we believe we're a bit hard done by. When we did our last series, the other thing to be careful of is serving to earn our salvation. We learned that salvation is through faith alone. So we don't serve to earn our salvation. We don't serve to earn God's love. And if we're operating out of strife and turmoil rather than peace, we need to turn the lens inward and check our motives and check our heart and think about how we're serving. You see, Jesus highlighted the importance of motives and character and heart when he said we should be careful to do our acts of righteousness and not to do them before men, not to be hypocrites, actors who wear a mask. And this is why Jesus calls us to humble ourselves, take up our cross daily in order to follow him, to crucify the false self, to deny self so that the true self, the spiritual self, can reign. And just before I get on to the next point, just be careful of one more trap in serving. Humbleness can sometimes be mistaken for worthlessness. And hear me, humility and humbleness is not worthlessness. We don't serve with a, woe to me, I'm a worm mentality. And I have seen people doing that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are God's craftsmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When the New Testament speaks of character, often you'll find that it's focusing on something called maturity. And spiritual maturity should be the aim of our growth as Christians and our development as disciples. But how often do we think that doing the same things Week after week, year after year, coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, develops maturity. And those are all good things, but I've met Christians who've been a Christian decades and maybe have grown in spiritual maturity by one year. And I've seen people who have maybe been a Christian three, four, five years and have just packed so much maturity and growth of character into that. Well, let me ask you another question. How often do we relegate maturity in the quest for being happy or being comfortable. God wants to refine your character and he will use unhappy circumstances that are not comfortable to do that refining. And that's exactly what happened in Joseph's confinement. So we'll look at, we looked at character, we'll look at confinement now. Your assignment in confinement will be part of your refinement so that you are prepared for promotion and power. It does, doesn't it? Vicky said, I ought to get you to say that 10 times as a tongue twister. Your assignment in confinement will be part of your refinement so that you're prepared for promotion and power. It's just as well you've got the windshield on this one, I think, Aaron. Um, this is the bit I said, can someone read Genesis 40, verse 1 to 15? Who's, could you put a hand up if you're prepared to read Genesis 40, verse 1 to 15? Anyone? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Oh, wonderful. What's your name? None too. Thank you. And it came to pass after these things 
that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was, was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup, cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that... Thank you, Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. So Joseph's in prison. The baker and the butler come down. They have a dream. Joseph interprets uh, the butler's dream and uh, says to the butler, remember me when you're released because that's what your dream means. But Joseph is confined. What does it mean to be confined? Confinement can be penned in, caged in, locked up, walled in, enclosed, surrounded. And it doesn't have to be physical. What are you confined by? Illness? Money? Or lack of it? Time? Or lack of it? Resource? Commitments? Perceived lack of opportunity? Maybe it's relationships or something in your past. Maybe it's your work or your job. Perhaps it's fear or guilt. It could even be your ministry. When you can find, it can feel like you're not on track with your relationship with God. It can feel like you're a million miles away from the promise God gave you. It can feel like you're not being recognized for the things that you once were, that you're that nearly person, that almost person. But if you read the story of Joseph in Pharaoh's house and in prison, again and again, what you'll notice from the passage is 
that God was with him. If the Lord is with you, then you will find blessing and favor and success regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. And if you notice, although quite often our prayers are for God to take us out of the difficult circumstances and solve them, actually God didn't stop Joseph being a slave or a servant or a prisoner. What was his reward? What was Joseph's reward for doing really well in Potiphar's household and resisting the temptation from Potiphar's wife? He did the right thing. He was thrown into prison. Did that ever happen to you? Maybe not prison, but done the right thing and then everything turns upside down. But the Lord was with him. Church, we have to stop judging things by the circumstances we're in. Because I think like Joseph, we can't often see the end game. Our priority must be, whatever the circumstances, for the Lord to be with us. This means that our relationship with Jesus is the most precious thing we can cultivate when we're developing character. When Jesus says, follow me, as he does to each of you today, he invites us into an intimate, close relationship with him. And this is the key, friends. We must be close to the Lord to have his favour if we're serious about serving God and living for his kingdom. And it's our job, your job, my job, to co-labour with God in developing our character, to cultivate that relationship with Jesus and to root out anything inside you that creates a barrier to it. Any bit of ego that gets in the way, any bit of pride has to go. Crucify any tiny bit of religious thought that hinders your relationship with Jesus. Jesus put it more graphically than that. He said you should gouge out your eye or chop off your hand if it gets in the way of your relationship with God because of sin. And it's clear that even though Joseph was confined, God's plan was to assign him two prisoners who Joseph was to serve. In fact, it was the, the prison officer we heard that assigned these two prisoners to Joseph, the cupbearer and the baker. And church, God wants to give us an assignment in our confinement. The definition of assignment is a task or a piece of work allocated to someone. For us as Christians, it's how we serve the vision God has for us. It can be a mission or a commission. And I believe we all have personal callings, personal assignments that God has for us. And that only you, as an individual, can do that particular assignment that God has given you. Do you know what your assignment is? If so, are you serving and living it out? And if not, are you prepared to seek God for it? Living in confinement isn't very easy for many of us. Uh, my wife actually suggested that I preach on Joseph because for a few years now, there's a couple of stories that God's been bringing across my path. The story of Joseph in prison and the story of King David in the cave of Adullam. Have you ever had that yourself where you just can't get away from Scripture? You know, God just keeps tapping you on the shoulder of it, reminding you about it. And I'm sure you're the same. 
But God has given promises and dreams to me. And some of them have actually been miraculously and wonderfully fulfilled. But there are still many unfulfilled dreams and promises. And sometimes, certainly for me in the last three years, it's felt as though you're confined like Joseph in prison or King David in the cave. And here's another confession, although you might already know this. I'm not the most patient person. I'm the sort of person who wants to make it happen in my own strength, in my own timing. I'm just like Joseph in that passage we heard, telling the cupbearer to remember him, trying to make his destiny happen in his own strength. But God is looking for you to become fruitful and to prosper even in the toughest of times. And your fruitfulness will be a result of your perseverance. What I've found in this season of confinement is that God has brought people across my path who maybe wouldn't have been part of my life if I'd not been confined. And God wants to bring people to you in your confinement. For Joseph, it was these two officials of the palace, the baker, the cupbearer, thrown into prison who he was assigned. Now, Joseph had a decision to make. Do I serve them or do I just serve out my time? But Joseph had already been in prison a long time. He might have chosen to have a bit of a pity party, not bother with the others. But he still had the dream, the promise of God. And he attended these two. And I'm really certain as I can be that Joseph didn't see the point of doing it at the time. But then, but then they both had dreams. And then Joseph was in a position to interpret the dreams. And friends, people can come into our lives when we feel confined. And they can seem like a bit of a hassle. They can seem like they're a bit of a burden. And we might not know why they're there. But in one moment, it can become clear to us. Like Joseph and the dreams, why they're in our pathway. We might not know the specific reason God's assigned them to us until later. It might be for our benefit, it might be for theirs, we don't know. For Joseph, one of the assigned people, the cupbearer, was the very person God would use to see him released from his confinement. And maybe the people around you can do exactly that for you. God will often bring people to you who are going through exactly the same things that you've been through. And you might not have all the answers because you'll be on the journey yourself. But time and time again, I've found that if you've personally been through something, you're in a much better position to be able to serve someone else as they go through it. God will use those difficult times for you to serve and minister into other people's lives. We maybe need to wake up and look around us at the people They're in our lives, our neighbours, our work colleagues, people we sit by at church, all people possibly placed there by God. So next time there's a for sale sign in your street, or next time you're at work and there's a vacancy, or perhaps next time there's someone in the cafe or in the sanctuary that you've never seen before, I don't know, maybe go and have a chat, maybe pray. God will bring these people along your path. And finally, greatness. We've done character, we've done confinement. Let's think a bit about greatness. 
I believe, like Joseph, that you are destined for greatness. And after preparation comes promotion. God will promote you to the measure that you can handle. Both the blessings and the challenges, because you've got to be able to handle the blessings as well as the challenges. I don't know whether you've found this church, but often it's in the challenges that you can get close to God. And sometimes in the blessing time is when we maybe, maybe get a bit lazy and, and, and just get a bit more distant. As we serve, we need to learn to steward the blessings. But as N.T. Wright put it, forget happiness, you were called to a throne. How will you prepare for it? How will you prepare for the throne? Through serving and developing character so that you can become more like Jesus. Through using the gifts that God has given you in the service of others. From a life in the Spirit and from cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we remember the five junction ten values. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Shout them out. Well, there's a lovely little ripple. Mary finished first, I think. She said it very, very quick. But a lovely little ripple over this side. Love, peace, joy, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, God is still preparing you. You're too precious and too loved for God to promote you before you're ready. God wants you to fully occupy the dream he has for you. What's the key to that? Well... It's back to our relationship with God. I'm going to read a little excerpt from Exodus 23. Now, the Israelites, as you may know, had had the dream of a promised land from God, but they had been confined. And we're going to read Exodus 23, starting at verse 25. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from amongst you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you and drive the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites out of your way. Now listen, church. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become too desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. And there are three things I want to pull out of this little passage for us. The first part of the passage sets the condition, worship the Lord your God. The second part sets the promise that his blessings will be on you. And the third part sets the timing. Little by little. God only gives you the territory bit by bit so that you can fully occupy it without being overwhelmed or driven back. So as you pursue your vision and your dreams, if there's a divine delay, maybe God is still refining and preparing you. It's in the waiting that God grows your capability to handle the inevitable pressures that promotion and elevation brings. Giving you the land little by little ensures you're positioned to fully occupy it. And again, little by little is sometimes hard for us. How often do we want it now? But as God refines our character, he looks for us to develop patience and endurance and perseverance. Um, 
I, I was just uh, talking to one or two people here about the, the journey of Junction 10 and about serving. And uh, in Hillsong Church, Australia, uh, I went to a, a worship leaders conference when I was sort of first a Christian. And, and something really, really struck me. Um, at Hillsong in Australia, they said, uh, you, can, you can be the best worship leader and the most gifted musician but before we'll let you anywhere near the platform, you serve on the car park for six months. You serve on the welcome team for six months. Because they want to test that your heart is for serving and isn't just for the limelight. I think that's a brilliant principle. Patience, you see, is a fruit of the Spirit. It can only grow when you're given a situation where your patience is tried. For Joseph, his assignment didn't lead him to immediate freedom. The Bible says the cupbearer literally forgot him. And it was two years before Pharaoh then had a dream that Joseph's interpretation was needed for. But although the cupbearer forgot Joseph, you are never forgotten by God. Psalm 139, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Thou she may not, never, thou she may forget. This is God. I will never forget you. And there's some people here. You need to hold on to that. God has not forgotten you. Whatever your situation, whatever your confinement, God has a much bigger plan and purpose for you through using the people in your life and the opportunities He gives you to serve. Difficult circumstances and pressures can be an opportunity both to form our character. And a little test to see how well our character has been developed. And let me tell you, serving in a church context gives you plenty of opportunity to see how your character has been developed and to give you a chance to develop patience. Oil cannot be made without pressing the olive. Wine can't be made without treading the grapes. The divine pattern for your life is to do great things for the kingdom. But as is often the case... The kingdom view turns our understanding upside down. It sees greatness through a different lens, and the world sees it. There's a passage here coming up on the screen where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them greatness isn't about lording power and authority over people, but rather our preparedness to become a slave and, like Christ, not to be served but to serve. Difficult circumstances and pressures are often an opportunity to have our character formed and see the fruit of how our character is formed. At the pinnacle of the Joseph story, and can we have the band back please, we see Pharaoh having a dream that needs interpretation. We see the cupbearer remember Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream and is given a meteoric promotion which then allows him to serve Pharaoh. To serve a whole nation. To serve his estranged family and countrymen during a famine. And from his promotion came restoration. And the opportunity to release grace and forgiveness to his brothers. As Joseph's brothers come before this very powerful man in Egypt. Bowing down. Not knowing at this stage that it's Joseph they're bowing down to. And that his dream is actually being fulfilled. Joseph looks on them. But now, his character has changed so much, he's not bothered about the bowing down. He's more interested in restoring relationship. 
and working to bring reconciliation. This is how Joseph's character has changed. Joseph is now ready to lavish forgiveness. Yes, he tests how repentance his brothers are before he reveals his identity. Because he's changed and he wants to give them the opportunity to show that they too have changed. And it all ends in an amazing picture of a father reconciled to his lost son, brother restored to brother, Joseph releasing grace. And as Joseph talks to his brothers, and this is the last few sentences, just, just listen to this church. He says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Joseph recognized that God used his circumstances to bring about divine purpose. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten. You know what? In prison, it feels as though the locusts are eating the years away. But here we see a sudden turnaround of fortunes. And that's God's word for you today. Bringing it into the New Testament, Romans 8.28 echoes this thought. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So church, I want to end by asking you to let God use those circumstances that you're going through for good. To refine your character, to mould and shape you as the master potter with the clay. Let God take what you are now and form you into something even more beautiful.